0: From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet, my name is Scott Mason, you can follow me on Twitter at jet one and I'm going to call this Off the Edge, because the Jets need somebody who can do what this gentleman did on a regular basis for them, including sacking Tom Brady not once, but twice in a single game in 2011, still the last guy on the New York Jets to be able to accomplish that feat, he is of course former New York Jet from the years 2009 to 2011, current Hamilton Tiger Cat in the CFL, and former Rutgers great Jamal Westerman. Jamal, thanks for coming back on the show, man.
1: Scott, man, thanks for having me. It's always good to talk to you after a Jets win rather than after (laughs) a Jets loss. So it's a good week.
0: Let's get rolling, man. Well, before we get to the Jets, I got to know what's going on with the Tiger Cats right now. Ooh. Ooh, baby so we had the bye week last week Edmonton Eskimos played
1: the Montreal Alouette in a hard fought game Montreal fell so Edmonton will play my Hamilton Tiger Cats next week Sunday well this week Sunday up in Hamilton the blackout to so everybody anybody listening up in Canada we're black to the game and after that game if we're successful if we handle business like we are and it's on to the big one the great cup in Calgary the week the Sunday before Thanksgiving so I'm gonna focus on this game next Sunday but you know There's bigger and better things that are always out there for us. So, yeah, excited to go, excited for the guys, and excited to get up there. I'll be up there for the game this week, so that'll be fun.
0: I'm really keeping my fingers crossed for that for you because right now the Jets are 2-7, and so it's not like they're going anywhere this year. Even if they run the table, they're probably not going to be able to make the playoffs.
1: (laughs) Listen, I want something good in the CFL too, baby. But I don't know about that. You know, I've I've heard that before. I was told before by Rex Ryan Mm. that, you know, yeah, yeah, guys, we're out the playoffs. There's no hope. And then about, you know, about two and a half hours later in the afternoon meeting, he came and said, wait a minute. We still got a chance. And we end up making it. We end up going to the AFC Championship game. So, listen, man, as long as you got a chance, this is the National Football League. And as long as you got a chance, that's all you can ask for on Sundays.
0: Reminds me of Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. So, you're telling me there's a chance.
1: <laughs> listen, I'm telling you there's a chance. Sam Donald's telling me that there's a chance. So let's get let's get behind. Let's ride with it, man. Listen when the team gets the win, you're gonna ride with them for that week.
0: Sounds good to me. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I want nothing but the best for this team. I gotta ask you though, Jamal, let's talk about the big story right now, because everybody wants to know what you think as a former member of this team. You played for the Johnsons. They signed your check and they came out and they said, despite the fact that There are a lot of fans that are really angry right now. They want Adam Gase out. They've lost patience after a little more than half a season. And to be fair, also, the several years he spent in Miami where a lot of the warning signs pointed to what's going on right now. However, the Johnsons came out, specifically Christopher Johnson, and I would assume that he conferred with Woody about this before making the announcement. And he said that Adam Gase is not only the head coach this year, he will be back next year, and that's the end of it. So for anybody that was hoping that at the end of the year, if the Jets collapsed, maybe the Johnsons would see the light, it doesn't look like that's going to happen with this proclamation. Do you think that's weird? As a former player who played for this team, if the team was struggling... And the coach was somebody that a lot of the fan base was tired of that maybe even some of the players were starting to lose faith in. Is it strange to you that ownership would come out and make such an emphatic declaration now rather than saying that he would evaluate at the end of the season or even saying something like this at the end of the season?
1: To be honest with you, as, as a player, I like that ownership came out be- behind Adam Gates. And the reason, the reason why is because by saying, listen, you, you know the, what the questions are. You know, Christopher Johnson, Jesse, CEO, knows the questions are, you know, fans. Oh, I don't want Adam Gates. We don't want Adam Gates. He wasn't good in Miami. What was his record in Miami? But if you're an org- organization, if you're a team and you want to be together, you want everybody on the same page, you cannot, you cannot for any, any reason go and say, listen, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to fire Adam Gates at the end of the year or – yeah, we're not sure what we're going to do with our head coach. We're just going to play the year out and see what happens at the end. You have to stand up behind her. You have to show the support from You have to try to get some of the, the questions away from the players, away from the head coach about, you know, are you going to be here next year? What are your plans for the offseason? You know, do you want to be back with this team? Do you want to be a member of this organization? You, by Chris, by Chris, uh, Christopher Johnson standing behind Adam Gates and his coaches, he's basically saying, like, listen, there aren't any, any questions. This is my coach. this is going to be our coach for the rest of this year into next year, and that's final. And basically he's telling everybody you got to get on board because this is the boat that, that will be that will, we'll all be on and you have to get on board because he's going to be our head coach and just try to get with it, try to develop and try to win as much as you can this year looking towards the off season. So I, I'm not surprised, I'm not taking a bat because sometimes you, you know the fans do have a right to say what they want to say. And Chris, Christopher Johnson, the CEO, has to listen and has to take that into account. But he sees the bigger picture. He sees not only this season. You know, he's he's looking next season, the season after that, the the development of Sam Darnold and this entire football team where sometimes you change your coach and then you may be back in the same position midway through next year if you have some injuries or some guys that don't perform like you expect them to. And then what do you do then? You know, what do you do then? You know, are you an organization that's just constantly switching coaches you know, moving staff, you know, changing equipment staff, changing weight room staff, because when you change the head coach, it's not only one guy that leaves, Everybody's normally gets up and goes. So you have to switch all that for, you know, another team next year. So I understand it, and I, you know, I, I think it's a smart move just to quiet all the questions down for the rest of this season.
0: So do you think that that is something that would hurt the team's reputation around the league and even with other potential head coaching candidates down the line? Because that has been an argument that's been advanced by some people that if the Jets got rid of Adam Gase at the end of the year after one year and after him pushing Mike McCagnin out the door, that a lot of other future head coaching candidates might question wanting to come here if they had other options. Is that something that you agree with?
1: I definitely agree with that because, you know, head coaches, we call them coaches, but they're still family, man. They still have wives, children, kids, you know, when they're settled somewhere, when they make a decision that I'm going to leave this offensive coordinator job where most head coaches, you know, they normally come from successful situations, you know, so I'm going to leave this head coaching job. I'm going to leave this high, high ranking offensive coordinator job at, you know, a top NFL team or a head coaching job at a university to come to the jets where they've just fired their head coach, you know, eight games in or, you know, after one season, you know, how can you move your family and everybody and you, you want this opportunity to an organization that's just, you know, turning over coaches left, left than right. So to be able to keep the same coach and say, we're going to give you time to, you know, develop, to get your guys in place, to get your guys all healthy on the field, and then we'll reevaluate. I think that makes sense because like, you know, if you're going to have a job and, you, and somebody says, listen, we'll guarantee you, We'll only guarantee you uh, 16 games, and then after that, you know, we'll probably get rid of you if we don't like the outcome. You want somebody that's going to stand behind you. So I think it does affect, if you were to fire him early, the other head coaches looking at a job and looking at stability and looking at a strong, you know, viable uh, organization.
0: Let's talk about Darnold and Gase a little bit because, as you said, Gase developing Darnold was one of the most important things to the Johnsons when they hired him. They felt that he would be the guy that would help take Darnold to the next level. The previous three weeks against Jacksonville, against Miami, against New England – Darnold looked lost at times. He didn't look like the guy that we saw against Dallas. He didn't look like the guy that we saw at the end of last season against Houston, against Green Bay. He didn't look like the guy that we saw on tape at USC, but he looked a lot more like that guy this past week against the Giants. What did you think of his performance, and what did you think of what Gase was doing as far as play calling?
1: Well, it looked like they're doing a much better job in watching Sam Darnold, especially at the line of scrimmage. He seems, and and between this game and maybe the last two or three games, he seems to be taking more charge of the line of scrimmage when it comes to protection. Many times you hear him walking up to the line, changing the protection, really pointing out, okay, here goes your free runner. This is the mic. I saw one time, you know, really getting Le'Veon Bell's attention and pointing out, all right, you know, this is the side you have to go. And so I like seeing that, Not I won't say development, but taking the problems that we've seen the past, you know, two to five weeks and putting it into the game on last Sunday where, all right, we have to communicate, so let's over-communicate. Everybody, let's call out the mice. Everybody, let's call out the slide protection. you know, because they do have a lot of injuries on the offensive line. It's a lot of new guys playing in different spots. They may not have a lot of uh, experience. So I saw Sam Donald take hold of that, and I I actually appreciated him taking that charge of knowing, listen, man, I have to get this protection uh, right. Protecting, you know, me is not only the offensive lineman and the running back. But it's also QB1 making the calls, making sure everybody's on the same page and getting it done. So I I, I like that part of it. I think he played a very good game. And it was fun. You saw two young quarterbacks in New York City, both on opposing teams, both, you know, having seasons that, you know, we expected a lot from Sam Darnold early. He got injured, kind of threw a little wrench in the system. And Daniel Jones didn't start the season. But went out, had the first game when he got that win when they sat Eli, and he's been struggling recently. And Sam Darnold, you know, I think, you know, both quarterbacks played, I think they played pretty good. I think they were both pretty high on the QBR in the league for the week. I think they were above 10 in QBR for the week. But Sam Darnold, I think I outplayed him. You know, I think he outplayed Danny Dines. I mean, he, had, he ran for a touchdown. He were hitting guys, had some drops, you know, but I think he did a lot better pressure, a, a lot better uh, opportunity of when the pressure came. Even if he got hit, he saw the guy that was coming. There was one middle middle blitz where Jabril Preppers came right down the middle and got a hit on him, but Donald knew okay, that was the free guy. He's going to be free. I have to get this ball out before he can get to me. And he did it. So I think he played better. I think he's improving. Not as good as, I don't think, the Dallas game, but it is a much improvement, moving around a lot better, making some plays of those off-tempo plays. I think I believe he made a play when he was falling down to his knees, completed the pass. So he's doing some good things out there, and I think He's getting back in the swing of things of, okay, it's QB1. This is my team. Let me take more control of it.
0: Were you encouraged by the fact that this week it seemed like he really started to do things like get rid of the ball, when the pressure was coming, or just throw it out of bounds when the realization came that there was no play to be made? Because I've always said that one of the keys to becoming a great quarterback in the league, unless you're Brett Favre, there's always exceptions, is knowing when to say when. So if there's nothing there, sometimes you just got to throw the ball away and live to fight another day. It seemed like Darnold did that for the most part against the Giants. Were you impressed by that?
1: Definitely impressive, but I think because he was in a competitive game, he was in a game that was either they were up or it was a one-score game or a field goal. So you're in a game that, listen, all these plays matter. It's not I need to make a touchdown now because we're down by three touchdowns or, listen, we haven't been producing at all on offense. Even if I'm getting sacked or if I'm getting hit, let me just throw this ball up there and hope my guy makes the play. He's in the competitive game that he knows that every play counts. Every play is important, and the ball is the franchise. So he's being, he, was, he was very careful with the ball, very careful with where he threw it. And like you said, when the times came, it's like, you know, there's nothing there, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Instead of forcing it to Robbie Anderson deep or, you know, I would say Herndon, but he's out again. You know, he kind of just threw it out of bounds. And, and that's what you want to see, that development of, what mistakes did you make last week? Let's talk about it in practice. Let's talk about it in the meeting. Let's get it fixed. And now you have to take that to the game, and you got it done this week.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the offensive line, Jamal, because let's be kind about this. They've struggled quite a bit this season. I think that's the best way to put it. But they seem to play a little bit better. Kelvin Beecham was back. He looked a lot better than what we've seen at left tackle the last couple of weeks. Did you notice an improvement in the offensive line play? And if so, what specifically did you see?
1: Well, from what I saw, the Giants were just trying to make a wall in front of left bill. They were trying to make a wall in front of him. So in the run game, the offensive lineman, they weren't able to get the push off the ball that, that you would like. But we've seen, listen, we talked about oh uh, Beatum and his struggles. But you see, listen, that is a starting NFL left tackle. And when you don't have that guy out there, we've seen the problems that we've had that the Jets have had in the past week. The offensive line looks better. They're nowhere where they need to be to be a uh, a playoff caliber offensive line with, you know, some of the injuries that are continuing to happen with, you know, Brian Winters going down. He's out for this season now with a kind of innocuous kind of hit that put them out you know, for the year. So they're getting better. They're improving. And the biggest thing, like I said, is the communication. Watch the offensive line this week communicate. They're, everybody's pointing. Everybody's talking to each other. Where they're not going to let another play happen where, you know, everybody's playing, I got a secret. Where ah, I think I know who I'm going to block. I'm not going to say anything. This us communicate it, Let's get it done. I block him. You block him. And let's get everything blocked. Here. So they did play a little bit better, but they're not where they need to be to be that playoff caliber team yet.
0: What about Le'Veon Bell? Was there anything in this game that you think he could have done better? There are some people that said his pass protection wasn't as good as it's been in previous weeks or even in the time that he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Did you notice anything good or bad specifically with him?
1: I think for the whole year, Le'Veon Bell has been kind of what you wanted. You know, he's been like a professional. You know, in this game, yeah, his pass protection could have been a little bit better. But the Steelers had a better offensive line, right? They had a better quarterback situation. They had a a team and an offense that's that's been together for multiple years, you know, going on to three, four, five years since he's been there, the same offense, the same terminology, some of the same players doing the same communication. So, you know, of course in that offense he would look different in an offense where you're missing your quarterback, he's out with injuries. A lot of your offensive linemen are out with injuries. You know, you have a tight end that you've been, you know, waiting for since last year as a rookie he basically gave you two games and two catches and he's out for the season. So he's in a situation right now where, you know, it's not the same part that he had previously in uh, in Pittsburgh, but I think he's been playing good. He's been running hard. He's been making guys miss, you know, when there's been space. But like I said, the Giants did a good job this week. And James Belcher's defense is just kind of creating a wall in front of him. So when he's trying to pick his spot to be patient, you know, behind the line of scrimmage, there's really no place for him to go. And he'll hit a hole here and there, but, you know, they didn't do a good enough job, good enough job of getting up to the second level and keeping the linebackers off of them, too. So he'll, he'll make a guy miss here and there, but there wasn't much running room for that bill.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go
1: to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
0: Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk a little defense, Jamal. I'm curious what you think about this.
1: let's talk some defense, (laughs) man. I've been waiting all day to talk about this jet D and them getting after the G-man. Let's talk a little D.
0: First guy I want to bring up is Foley Fadakasi. Now, you and I talked about this before we started recording, and I'm not saying that he's on this guy's level yet, and I'm not saying that he will ever get there. I'm simply saying that after eight games, the two players that Foley Fadakasi is starting to remind me of a little bit that were recent Jets are Snacks Harrison and Chris Jenkins. Now, Chris Jenkins is a guy you played with. And the people that didn't get a chance to watch him probably don't realize just how good he really was. And I'll tell this story. I remember 2008, and if you go into the archives... You can find the 2008 series that we did with Kerry Rhodes Where we talked about this and Chris Jenkins came up quite a bit Because he was a force to be reckoned with in 2008 There was a game against the Tennessee Titans that year The Titans were 10-0 going into that game Chris Jenkins was going up against Kevin Mawai Who is now in the Titans because the Jets had drafted Nick Mangold a couple years earlier Mawai managed to be an All-Pro even after that Well into his late 30s Which again shows you what an absolute freak of nature Kevin Mawai was Chris Jenkins dominated Kevin Mawai that day In a way that I had never seen before He was tossing him around like a rag doll all day And I remember tweeting out about it I didn't tag anybody So it's not like I was trying to stir anything up It was just somebody brought up Chris Jenkins And I talked about that memory of watching him manhandle Mawai And saying I had never seen anybody do that to Kevin Mawai. And Kevin Mawai somehow saw it, and he responded and said, I remember that game. I remember this play when he did this to me, that play when he did that to me, this play when he did this to me sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you. So I think he understood the the spirit in which my comments were intended, not insulting him, but just saying, Mawai was so good that if Jenkins dominated him, it shows you how good Jenkins was. So I'm not saying Foley Fadakasi's is necessarily there yet, Jamal, but boy, some of these plays he is making in the run game. Holy smoke. That's the
1: thing. You know, as a run defender, especially an inside guy, a big guy, you want to say, listen, all right. You guys say you can run the ball on us, keep the score low. You know, we're gonna, you're gonna run the ball. On us? You're, I'm gonna make those plays. I'm gonna beat the double teams. I'm gonna be forceful in the backfield. I'm just gonna be, uh, you know. Sometimes he's not productive, but he's disruptive, right? And so on on the year, he's he's had I think 10 tackles on the year, 18 tackles on the year. So he's in the backfield. He's making plays, you know. But he's always disruptive. Every game, he's mm-hmm. doing something. He's knocking guys on the ground. He's beating a double team. He's taking, you know, he he's taking a guy off the linebacker and letting linebackers run free. So he's doing a good job, but Jenkins? Listen, I, when I was listening, my first three years with the Jets, I saw Rex put him at safety, put Big Jenks at safety and blitz him down the A-gap. I seen him rat blitz Jenks. Jenkins could get up from a three-technique spot, walk over to the left side of the line and come off the edge of an edge blitzer. So to say somebody's in the Jenkins, I mean, just to mention his <laughs> name with Jenkins, I think it's a blessing, but <laughs> Jenkins was such a big, athletic, D tackle that he probably if he wanted to lose another twenty pounds, probably could have played middle linebacker or something like that. So to put him with Jenkins is tough, but I see what you're saying because he's one of the guys on the Jets D line. And I think last game the D line kinda of came alive where guys were making plays in the backfield, guys were playing together, guys were feeding off that energy, you know, really the energy that Jamal Adams kind of started the game with and guys were feeding off it and kind of creating their own energy. So I like to see that D line play, but not Jenkins. Not yet.
0: Not only to give him
1: Talk, talk, to me, talk to me about six games into next season.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about Jamal Adams since you brought him up. We'll come back to the defensive line later. That was some performance. That was as good of a Ooh. defensive performance as I've seen from anybody that's ever played on this team.
1: I think it, it, it's a testament to what type of player that he is. To be able to put all the nonsense, all the noise, all the trade stuff, you know, playing in New York. You know, do you want to play in Dallas? Put that behind him and come out. And from the, you know, the first play of the game, I mean, Greg Williams did a good job having him down around the line of scrimmage, playing off that edge like he likes to play around the box. He dropped back in coverage. Second play of the game made a good, I think it was a tackle for a one-yard, maybe that's Saquon's only yard, a tackle for a one-yard gain in the backfield of Saquon Barkley coming off the edge. And then that third play of the game, I mean, in the backfield, Throwing Saquon Barkley, kind of beating him on the blitz. Saquon get, you know, got off the ball quickly, taking the ball out of Daniel Jones' hand. You know, Saquon Barkley ended up getting it back. But kind of the same type of play later on in the third quarter, on the, that first drive of the third quarter where, you know, we always talk about that third quarter the first drive is where you want to set up how are you going to be for the second half. He did almost the same exact thing. But the B-gap. Saquon Barkley came across with the block, you know, kind of brushed him away, took the ball. And this time, you know, not only – got the ball out, picked it up, and returned it for a touchdown, instant point, Jamal Adams. I mean, great game. He had to put the noise behind him and spark them at the beginning of the game and then another spark right out of the halftime where, you know, they needed it in MetLife. life. I think it was a tremendous game where him brought the, brought the fire. I mean, he was cooking with gas the whole game and that's what you need
0: out of your defensive leader. Do you think the rest of the defense fed off of him?
1: I, You know what? I definitely think they fed off of that energy of making a play. You know, when, when the Jets have we seen over the last, you know, five weeks that they've been down in games? They haven't come out fast. They started slow, and then they're playing catch-up. You know, they were in a game that, you know, Jamal Adams, you know, they were in a game that was competitive from the start of it. They knew this is a team we've watched on film. We feel that we're going to be able to play with these guys. We feel we should beat these guys. And I mean, the Giants are probably saying the same thing, too. But you have to go out there and do it. And I think from the beginning of the game, offense came out, got a quick seven. Defense responded with a, with a sack fumble on Daniel Jones. And then it just kept responding. It kept feeding everybody. It kept feeding off of that intensity. And then everybody wanted to make plays. I mean, Steve McClendon was making plays. Nation Shepherd was making plays. Q Willie was in the backfield knocking guys down. You know, everybody feeds off of that energy of, listen, we're in a game now. And any play could be the play to win it win it for us. So give it your all. And I think he started out, brought that energy. Offense started out great and kind of led throughout the game.
0: I want to ask you about another member of the secondary a fellow Rutgers alum, Blessing Ooh, Austin. There we go.
1: This Bless was him.
0: a crazy situation, Jamal, because you know the story with Blessing Austin. This is a guy who's had two ACL surgeries. He's played only one game in the past two years, and this was somebody who was supposed to not even play this year. He was supposed to just be on IR. But he was able to get back ahead of schedule. And because of how poorly the cornerbacks were playing, my guy Nate Hairston, I like Nate Hairston, still think he can be a solid corner, but he has not been good the last two weeks. Bless and Austin came in there. And other than one reception that he gave up, I thought he played really, really well. This is a heck of a story so far. What did you see from your fellow Rutgers alum?
1: I mean, Bless, I remember when Bless came to Rutgers, I actually got to host their signing show and you see this wow. long, rangy corner. I think he was in JUCO at the time, you know, campus Magnet High School. And this long, corner range. And you're like, hey, he has a chance to be a good one. He has that length. He has that speed. He has the ability. Just got hit with a couple of bad injuries. He had to come out in his first game this year, you know, after coming off of IR earlier in the week. And the one thing I saw with him is that he was prepared. He was ready. He was excited for the opportunity. You know, he wasn't playing hesitant. You know, obviously he wasn't playing as fast as he can being his first game, but he wasn't hesitating. He was trying to go. He had a PBU late. You know, he was in there battling the, old, the whole time. Probably sh- should have had another pick. Just went, I think, right above his fingertips, you know, late in the third or early in the fourth quarter and better able to make that strip at the end of the game. Man, I- I'm definitely happy for him, definitely proud of him. And I just wanted to keep seeing him uh, succeed, especially after those injuries. And I'm a guy that has suffered – you know, probably had 10, 10 dozen, a dozen surgeries. And to be able to battle back, not only get your body ready, but your mind ready to compete in the NFL at a higher level, and especially with a game like this, Jets-Giants in MetLife Stadium. I mean, it was amazing for him to come out with a win. I'm happy for him. And he can always remember his first professional NFL game in a Jets uniform where, where it, all, it counted. He came up with a big play at the end with a strip, and he was able to make plays. And I remember my first games in a Jets uniform. I had a sack. So just having that for the rest of his life, I mean, it's something that will stay with him and you're going to continue to see him get better every week. And that's what I'm expecting out of Are you guys. So shout out to bless. Keep blessing them.
0: Bless. You think he has a chance to be a legitimate starting corner in the NFL? I
1: definitely do because his size, I mean, I think his body will get back to where it needs to be. I mean, he's still going to continue to, Get, get stronger in his, with his ACLs and continue to trust it more. And with his size and athletic ability, with his speed and his length and his arm length, similar to like a Cromartie. And I don't like to, you know, relate guys to Cromartie just being such a tall, fat, twitchy guy. But similar to Cromartie, he's long, he's ranging. I, I definitely think he has the ability that he can be a starting, an everyday starting corner, but like anything else, He has to put in the work, which I know he's not afraid of. He has to continue to develop, continue to take coaching, and being in the right situation with the right staff that has that ability to to find the spot for him, to find a spot where he can be successful.
0: I want to ask you about the outside linebackers here because pass rushing is something that you're fairly well acquainted with, being that you sacked Tom Brady not once but twice (laughs) in a single game. Jordan Jenkins is a player that, to me, has taken a lot of strides In his early years, it seemed like a lot of his sacks were cleanup sacks, and he does still get some of those, but I watched the development that he's had over the last two years, especially coming into last year. He worked a lot with Chuck Smith, who a lot of people that are listening to this may not remember, but he was one of the best pass rushers in the NFL back in the 90s. And he has become well-known for his work with young pass rushers now and helping a lot of them improve. We saw a lot of that last year. Jenkins, I thought, had the best season of his career last year. He was derailed a little bit by injuries, but I think he's been pretty good this year. It reminds me a little bit of your old teammate Calvin Pace. Do you see that too? I mean,
1: Jenkins has had a, a, he's been having a tremendous last couple weeks. I think over the last I think three or four weeks, he's, he's had over the last two weeks, two sacks on Sunday, A sack in the Miami game. The last sack came before that in the Dallas game. But He's been a person all year that's been bringing pressure. I mean, he likes that up-the-field bull rush. You see earlier in the game, the Jamal Adams sack fumble that Saquon Barkley ended up uh, recovering back by the end zone. It was Jenkins that had the good bull rush on Nate Soldier off the right side to really close that pocket in so Daniel Jones had nowhere to go but to be kind of stunned with all the pressure on him. And if you watch the entire game, even after Soldier went out, I mean, they were kind of abusing the left tackle of the Giants, knocking them back into the quarterback, creating that pressure where, you know, he may not have the high sack numbers that you that you would like to see. And, you know, as an outside guy, every all everybody wants to judge you by now is your sacks. How many sacks did you have? If you had one, you are a good player. If you didn't, you're a bad player. But yesterday, he was able, I mean, Sunday, he was able to put it together with two sacks and uh, maybe four or five other pressures, quarterback hits, being very disruptive and a lot of his pressures led to other players making sacks or making TFL. So I think he had a good good game. He's developing nicely. And listen, man, anybody that works with Chuck Smith, I had Chuck Smith as a rookie in the New York Jets, and that was fun. I mean, he's a great pass rush mind, great pass rush coach to teach you the intricacies of pass rush, but he gets your mind in the right place. Uh, attack, attack, attack. Go get the quarterback theater of the mind. And it's all the mirage. You know, that's what he tells you. It's all the mirage. Just go get the quarterback. And so Jenkins has been doing a good job, and it's good, it's good for him to get two sacks and a win on Sunday. He's a player that's been developing last year, had a kind of a breakthrough year, and now that things are getting back into our normal gameplay where we're playing competitive games, we're back and forth, you can see he's a player that some of the lack of production will turn into production because he is a very disruptive guy.
0: So you're seeing the influence of Chuck Smith when you watch him now? Well, I, I don't know
1: how much he's worked with Chuck, so I you know, I don't know. But I can see that his passion, he, he's going off with power, 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 knocking guys back and then having the ability to flip his hits and get on the corner. So he's doing a good job of mixing it up with, listen, if you're going to sit there, I'm going to power you, and when you try to lean back on me, I'm going to get my hits out of the way and get to the quarterback. And, you know, they're playing games now with, him, he's off of one edge, bump the other D, uh, D lineman inside with Jamal Adams coming coming off the, the coming as the blitzer off the other edge. So they're having him and Jamal kind of play two outside backers and creating a lot of pressure on quarterback.
0: Let's talk about creating pressure from the defensive line. We saw Nathan Shepherd generating some pressure. We saw Quentin Williams get in there at the end for what should have been. A fumble on Daniel Jones. I want to ask you about Quentin Williams first. He's a guy that if you watch this tape coming out of Alabama, he looked absolutely incredible. And we've seen those moments with the Jets too. We saw some of them against the Cowboys. He's had some big time plays if you go back and watch the tape. But he hasn't quite jumped out yet as that dominant defensive lineman that everybody was hoping he would be. One thing that a lot of people have noticed is that Greg Williams seems to be using him in a lot of these stunt packages. Do you think that that's the best use of Quentin Williams? Do you think that perhaps the way that he's being deployed is hurting his ability to maximize what he does best?
1: I definitely think that, you know, I would love seeing my D-line go forward. You know, Quentin Williams, I mean, he's a 21-year-old young guy, <laughs> still scratching, scratching the surface on his ability but he, they're doing a lot of inside, inside games with him, three-man inside games with two guys come to the right, Quentin uh, Williams being the right three technique, he may wrap them coming around because he's probably one of the faster guys in his deep tackle group. So they're probably looking for, listen, if we have outside blitzes on both sides with Jamal Adams off the left, Jenkins off the right, Quentin Williams will wrap him to the left. So if Daniel Jones tries to step up, maybe use some of that mobility that he does have, get out the pocket, we'll have a little quicker deep tackle wrapping to be able to get him on the ground or get a hand in his face but it is true that while you're wrapping you're not going to be the quick straight line to the quarterback you know you'll have to get him if he steps up or if there's great coverage and he holds the ball so I would like to see him going straight ahead a little bit more but I understand what Greg Williams is trying to do as you know you want to put it's not only let's just have the Quentin Williams show let's just try to get him a whole bunch of sacks. there's an entire defense That you have to build That you have to put out there every Sunday So you know, some of the things that defensive linemen are asked to do May not be their best But it's best for the defense at the time
0: Are you disappointed with Quinton Williams' performance so far? Do you think that he's lived up to his potential? Is it a situation where Maybe he's just not as explosive right now As we expected Based on what he did at Alabama Is he making some plays that people aren't recognizing When you go back and see it on film? Where do you fall on Quinton Williams so far?
1: I'm definitely not disappointed with him. I think he's making plays. I think you know the explosion. He's still an explosive, twitchy, big guy. But you're playing against different type of players. It's going to take a time for him to grow into the position of playing D tackle every down D tackle in the National Football League. I, a lot of the games he played this year have been what? They've been up by. They've been down by twenty. They've been down by three scores. There's been a goose egg on on the on the board for the Jets. So as a deep tackle, you're not maybe getting as many one-on-one pass situations. You're not getting as many of the the passing downs where teams are throwing throwing from behind, where you know there's only five man protection. You know even in the game on Sunday, the Giants kept seven man pro protection in a lot with the tight end staying in to protect and Saquon Barkley as we saw staying in to protect. So you have to think there's seven guys up in protection and sometimes the Jets were only rushing four. You know, so you got double teams all all, all across the board. So a lot of it may not be just Quentin Williams and his ability. It may be getting in the right situation for, okay, we're in a competitive game now. All right, you know, they're not keeping in seven guys in protection. Maybe they have five with the running back chipping to get out as a six guy chipping on his way out. So I think the more opportunities he gets, the more games that he, he plays in that are high stakes, that are competitive at the end, you know, the more plays will come for him because we've seen it at Alabama where they play a pro style defense and they're playing in the SEC where they're playing a lot of pro, pro ready offensive linemen. And we've seen it, you know, at little glimpses here and there throughout the season with the twitchiness that he has and explosion off the ball. And I would just like to see him go forward more where you line him up in the three technique, you line him up head up on the guard, and you try to get some protection away from him and say, listen, you beat this guy one on one. Play like a
0: Jet. Play like a Jet. What would you think about how Greg Williams approached Saquon Barkley? Because this is the worst game that Saquon Barkley has played, not just as a pro, but really if you go back to his college days at Penn State, he never had a day like this. 13 carries for one yard, which means he carried the ball on average a couple of inches per carry. What did you see from what Greg Williams was doing here and who really stood out to you in the running game besides, obviously, Jamal Adams and we talked about Foley Fadikasi. Anybody else that you saw that really stepped up to make some things happen against Saquon Barkley? This
1: weekend against, against the Giants, it seems like against Saquon Barkley, the Jets were trying to get guys around his legs. I mean, he had a run where he was a toss to the Jets left where somebody came in, the corner came in and cut the pulling tackle. I just had guys want to take on Barkley's feet. Every time he tried to get going, there would be somebody on the ground, somebody diving at his leg. Just just try to get him to stop his feet because he's so dynamic when he gets that space that you can get him to stop for just a second. Then you saw Adams flying and Nathan Shepard doing a good job of slicing in the backfield, stunting. You know, he had a lot of inside stunts from B-gap to A-gap, making TFLs in the backfield. Steve McClendon had a big play. I think he was the one. He had a TFL, a one-yard loss. I think Saquon Barkley had two yards at that point and Steve McLennan fell to his knees was able to get back up and make a TFL and those are the things that you like to see especially as your defensive lineman because you're going to get knocked out it's not always going to be easy but those games where your juices are flowing a little bit more and you know that you know what let me let me sell out let me give my all you know you're fighting you get knocked down you're fighting the Back up as, as fast as possible, just to get a hand on that dynamic running back. Because we we all know once Saquon Barkley starts going off and he gets four yards here, five yards there, he was with a 16, and next you know he's 37 yards and he's in the end zone. So I think the defensive line as a group, as a as a unit with the linebackers, the inside guys, they didn't let him get started. They were at his feet. They were hitting him in the backfield. They were trying to bully him and the offensive linemen and. You know, with their kind of mass unit, the Giants, up like offensive linemen where they're pulling guys in and guys are going out in the game, the D-line definitely stepped up and did what they were supposed to do against that offensive line, and they dominated that group on Sunday.
0: What did you see from Phillips and Shepard and as you call them, Old Man Steve McClendon? Well, I, mean, <laughs> I going not call Steve old. He just he's just a
1: mature fellow. You know, he likes <laughs> the <to> find <plan> things <laughs> in
0: life. What did you see from those guys making those plays? Because, like you said, McClendon with that great play, they were all chipping in. It felt like.
1: But that's the thing: is the defensive lineman. You want to be in the game, but listen, man, we're playing. Oh, you got a stack over there. All right, let me make a play in the backfield. And then everybody's fired up and you know, okay, I'm going to hold on to this double team just a little bit longer. I'm not going to let the guard get off and get up to my linebackers because I know we struggled in the run game. And I want to make sure that, listen, Saquon, I don't care what jersey your daddy wear, at the end of this game, you're going to get a loss. that's as a D D-line. <laughs> you take things when you're playing top running backs like Saquon Barkley. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, Hall of Fame talent, yes. So you're playing those guys that you put on your hard hat, you put on a couple different – you know, you call it a, a, triple chin, a, a double chin strap game where you, you, you chin strap it up and you get ready to play big boy, run the ball, football, and you say, listen, I'm stopping everything. Even if I have to dive on the ground, pull a guard down with me, he's not going to get going because he's not going to get through my gap. And as a D-line group as a whole, I think this is one of the better games that they played together because everybody had a little bit of production. Everybody was disruptive the whole game, but every guy got a TFL. This person got two sacks. This person got, you know, three TFLs in the backfield. And a lot of different names that are making plays where, you know, we've always called for, hey, man, Leonard, Leonard needs to get all the sacks. But you see, there's a group of guys up there that played the entire game hard. Even Henry Anderson had a play when he knocked the, knocked the guard back in the backfield with Saquon's feet were off. And that's what led to one of the sack fumbles for the touchdown that Jamal Adams had in the third quarter. So everybody was knocking their guys back, and they were taking advantage of some of these offensive linemen who – to be honest with you, you know, maybe are a year away from really playing, you know, or just got on the team and don't quite know what they're doing yet or, you know, have, haven't been starting but forced into a starting position because of the you know, Lake Soldier goes down. And they did what they had to do. You see an inferior group of uh, inferior linemen in front of you or an inferior group of linemen in front of you, your job as the defensive lineman is to dominate and they did a good job of dominating that front on Sunday.
0: One thing that's looked weird to me and to quite a few other people the last couple weeks has been the fact that Greg Williams' scheme has sometimes resulted in a tight end or a running back being covered one-on-one by a linebacker who is not suited to do that. This week, it was Brandon Copeland having to cover Saquon Barkley on more than one occasion. We also saw it with the tight end who went off for the Giants a couple of times as somebody who has played at a high level on a defense for most of your adult life, what would cause a situation like that? Shouldn't Greg Williams be able to figure out a way to avoid that at least more often than he has? With having
1: such a good back like Saquon Barkley, you're not trying to get him to be covered by inferior talent. You're not trying to get him covered by linebackers or guys that can't run with them. But when you have everybody up on the line of scrimmage to try to stop the run, you have safeties inside. You know they're looking at the tight ends. There's going to be a time where He's going to be on a linebacker where you're hoping that he stays. And like I've been in this position, I remember my rookie year, I was playing Mike Linebacker and we're in practice, and uh, they have Leon Washington, Jet Lee. So I'm like, they call the play. Rex calls it from the sideline. I'm signaling it to the guys. I'm looking at Jet I'm like, all right, have him one on one. This isn't practice. I okay, can have him one on one. He doesn't know I have him one on one. They do a little motion. I have to step over in front of him. Now he knows I'm one on one with him, and everybody knows. And that was a wheel route for six in practice. So you don't want to cover him one-on-one, but you, get, you come to situations where a motion may happen, where you think it's a third-and-one they're going to run the play. Next thing you know, Saquon Bartley checks out or, or motions out, and you're like, oh, my goodness, one-on-one. And you're just hoping, please, pressure, please get to Danny Dimes. Once well, they didn't get there at some time, and they were able to throw the ball. Saquon Bartley got a, you know, a reception. You know, so you're trying not to put your linebackers in those situations, but it is the NFL, and – a job as a linebacker that you have to be able to cover the running back. No matter how dynamic they are, you have to be able to cover running back that time. So you have to use your leverage. You have to use your preparation, and you have to use your, your skills to know, like, okay, I'm not as fast as him, so let me take a better angle or let me play off a little bit. or I know what routes, they like to run when they motion them out, so let me play those routes and ask for a little help over the top.
0: Was there anything in this game that surprised you either positively or negatively? A positive surprise negative surprise?
1: Honestly, I, I wanted to see that flea flicker play. The flea flicker to Vince Smith. Oh, my goodness. It was like Temptation Island. I was hoping it was Robbie Anderson. I was hoping. <laughs> I was like, there we go. I'm not waiting. But that's not oh, – oh, okay, respect. But it was like, man, I thought that was, that was Donald's guy, man. I thought, you know, any trick play going deep was Robbie Anderson, especially how they kept him to help Donald improve. So that's the only thing I think surprised me a little bit where you wanted to see Anderson, you know, on the trick play at least, but I know they ran it for a reason. And probably Anderson was a decoy and Vince Smith was supposed to be open. Sam kind of missed him on on that pass. But I think the Jets came out, and when you're playing that competitive game against the Giants, which it is a big game in in that stadium. To play a game against your, your, your team in the same city as you, in the same stadium as you, I think it's a big game because the Jets and Giants are always fighting for fans. There's, there's a kid that was, that was born you know, four years ago or three years ago that's trying to pick his team now in New York City. And he's looking at the Giants, and he's looking at gang green, and he's trying to figure out, all right, where do I go? What team am I going to be a fan of? And I think that's important. I think that game on Sunday was important, and that's why you saw kind of that competitive level of, you know, a little bit, a l- little bit extra spice on it, you know, a little bit extra pepper in the game this weekend, last weekend.
0: Kid, do yourself a favor and become a fan of the Patriots. Life will be a lot easier for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, nah, you don't want to do that, man. They say Brady's leaving and going to the Chargers, man, so you don't want to be a fan of the Patriots. Nah, you know, stick
0: in the New York team. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the Redskins matchup coming up this Sunday? What do you expect to see? Do you think the Jets are going to win? How do you think that the coaching staff and the players are going to approach this matchup?
1: Is this the Callahan uh, revenge game? Is that what it is? I mean, mm. he was here too, right? Wasn't Bill Callahan here?
0: <laughs> he was. He was the offensive line coach.
1: So, I mean, it's a revenge game for him. So, you know, he's going to come out as the offensive line, you know, coach. Now he's the interim head coach down there in Washington. He's going to come out and want to run the ball. I, I'm not sure if Judice is back yet, but they have AP in the, back, in the, in the backfield. He's going to come out and try to establish the run and try to protect their young quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. You know, who's a, a Jersey guy? He's from Jersey, went down and went to Ohio State. But they try to protect him, you know. He's a young quarterback, he's a rookie. And as a Jets defense, I think it's gonna be a similar game plan to this week. Try to get after him early. You know, try to bring pressure with maybe it won't be Jamal Adams this week, but you know, I, I, I would think you would you would send him again. But try to get pressure on him early, get him rattled early, which would keep your running backs in a little bit more in protection, maybe slow down some of their receivers and some of the things they like to do with, you know, come having condensed offenses to try to, all right, who, who, where is this guy coming from? Who's coming from over here? Bring the tight end in for a little bit of protection. So I think they're going to try to run the ball, but I expect Greg Williams to try to get after him early with a lot of pressure. And really, I want to see Led Bell get, get rolling, man. I want to see Led Bell get rolling, get back to his form, and see this offense just continue to improve from, you know where they ended last week.
0: Jamal, I'm really looking forward to seeing if Sam Darnold is going to continue his momentum against the Redskins. I think that, as a Jets fan, is the most important thing the rest of the way. Unless, of course, Sam Darnold is able to follow through on his promise and find a way to take the Jets to the playoffs the way that Mark Sanchez did in your rookie year. So I guess nothing's impossible, but it is quite the long shot, which is why if you believe in it, you may want to place a bet on it over at mybookie.ag. You'll get some great odds over there and a chance to win some real money if you're right. And here's the best part of betting over at mybookie.ag. If you sign up there and use the promo code OVERTIME, they will match your first deposit up to 50% with the max being $1,000. So the most you can do is $2,000. They'll match you 1000 Anything below that, 50% of what you put down for your first deposit for your bet, they will match it if you use the promo code OVERTIME. You can bet on the Jets against the Redskins. You can do a bunch of prop bets. As we said, maybe Sam Darnold over under two touchdowns. You can bet on whether or not Le'Veon Bell's finally going to crack 100 yards rushing. Maybe you want to bet on whether or not the Jets are going to have an opening drive touchdown for the fourth straight week, or you may want to bet on the rest of the games around the league. Either way, go to mybookie.ag right now. Take advantage of this great offer. Use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get your first deposit matched up to 50%. The max is 1000 bucks. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. And if you're going to be betting on this upcoming matchup between the Jets and the Redskins, you may want to be there because unlike Jacksonville and Miami, the Redskins are within driving distance. It's the D.C. area. Technically, it's Maryland, but you can drive out there and have yourself a really nice weekend built around the game if you want. As somebody that used to live in the D.C. area, I can tell you there are always plenty of things to do in D.C. And you give a really fun weekend, not only at the Jets and Redskins game, but going to concerts, going to theaters, going to a comedy show. And if you're going to buy tickets to any of those things, you should do it over at Vivid Seats because when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and enter the promo code OVERTIME, you get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. That purchase could be Jets Redskins tickets or it could be anything else. We're getting into Thanksgiving and Christmas season, so there are all kinds of great shows going on. The Radio City Christmas Spectacular is coming to town here in New York, so that might be something that you want tickets to. Anything you want, you can use that discount. When you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code Overtime, you'll get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. Now Jamal, I mentioned your rookie year And speaking of your rookie year, I know that you've got plenty of stories from your rookie year One of them involves Calvin Pace So I thought something that we could do to end the show every week that would be fun Is story time with Jamal because you're going to be having a new podcast coming out soon And part of the podcast is going to be you and your guests telling a bunch of stories From your playing days and from your time at Rutgers with the Jets, now in the CFL And there's a story that you told me about your rookie year when you first got to the Jets with Calvin Pace that I thought was interesting. So I thought it would be a really nice way to end the show. Story time with Jamal. Tell the story, Jamal. Tell me about Calvin Pace.
1: (laughs) That's my guy. Uh, Pace is my guy. I mean, Pace is a guy that he, he wouldn't really talk to the rookies in OTA. So when I got there, Pace didn't really talk to me too much. He was quiet about it. You know, wasn't really... Big into the rookies, you know, when I got there. But I remember Leighton in camp right before the season, you know, started and everybody made the team. And I was talking to him a little bit, just kind of picking his mind about how's it going to go with the season? Because I, I didn't even know if I was going to make the team, where I was at, you know. And I was just like, how's it going to go? You know, how'd you navigate this? You know, you've had a long career in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. But I'm trying to pick his mind. And pay. looked at me and said, listen, man, the NFL it's a dream, it's not a career. It's not a career, it's a dream. So just try not to wake up, man. Try to stay asleep as long as possible, live the dream, and the rest will take care of yourself. And that's one of the things, that was kind of like one of the welcome-to-the-NFL moments where, you know, you're thinking that everybody has this story 10, storied 8, story 10, storied 15-year NFL career. But in he, I mean, Calvin was a first-round draft pick. I mean, he had many big contracts, had many big games, big seasons. And even him in that, you know, that point late in his career was even thinking, like, listen, I'm living the life right now. I'm I'm living a a great experience being able to live this dream in New York City. Let me just ride it out. And those are some of the stories that I always hold on to because it says, listen, man, if you have a good thing going, just focus on it, man. Just be in the moment, live it, love it. And that's what football is all about, man, being in that moment, being able to live it and love it. And that's a story that always stay with me, especially from a – a old vet like Steve Pace, we talk every now and then, you know, he's always giving me hell about my university, you know. So, you know, having stories that like they having those kind of those veterans to go and give back, you know, I think that's important. And that's about the brotherhood of football. That's very important.
0: I just want to point this out, by that- the way. First of all, Calvin Pace played 12 years in the NFL at a pretty high level the whole way. So his dream lasted a pretty good amount of time. So good for Calvin Pace. Also, I just want to say, to close out the show, I would like to offer this thought to both the Jets and to Rutgers University. When you left Rutgers, all of a sudden the program kind of did a bit of a nosedive. Ever since you left the Jets, remember you came in in two thousand nine. You were there for the two <laughs> AFC championship appearances. After you left the Jets, the Jets have kind of nosedived. I'm thinking that maybe Rutgers and the Jets should find a way to hire you, bring you back into the fold. Maybe as a coach, maybe as a goodwill ambassador, maybe it's just a guy who shows up for luck. Something.
1: I can be like a consultant, right? Just come in and be like, hey, I'm not sure what I'm doing here, but hey, I'm ready to be a li- liaison. I'm, who am I? Who can I talk to and just speak to? I mean, you know, you're right, but I, I think they're doing good. I expect, how many years are you going to give me? Both, I think both both the Jets and my Rutgers card and I can turn it around. You just got to give me some years. Yeah, give me some years. And the right people. It's all about people, man, but uh, I definitely appreciate that. I definitely enjoy my time at both places and you know, just watching, watching you know, them get the, the win last week was great. I'm going Saturday to the Rutgers-Ohio State game. You know, they're number two in the nation against my Scarlet Knights. going to be on the field with some of my former players, Mike Teal, Kevin Malice, I think Jeremy Zutai, Ray Rice. A lot of uh, former players I played with are going to be on the field for the coin toss at the beginning of the game. And, man, they're playing Ohio State, man. They're number two, so. There's going to be a lot of talent out there on the field. And I, it's going to be a fun game to be a part of, just to be you know part of the pageantry, especially being 150 years of uh, college football and to the in the birthplace. So I'm definitely excited for that this weekend. And heading up north to Hamilton on Sunday to check out, you know, my team in the Eastern Finals and just take the ride with those guys. And that's going to be crazy, man. To be a part of that, that's going to be amazing. So it's going to be a fun weekend for me and my family, man. And, you know, look forward, obviously, to always watching some jet, Jets on Sunday, too.
0: We're hoping that Adam Gase defies our expectations and turns out to be the right guy. Certainly hoping now that the Hamilton Tiger Cats advance this weekend. And on top of that, hoping that Rutgers gets the right guy. And I think that they are going to finally realize, and it sounds like they already have realized, it's just a matter of putting the details together, that the guy that was the most successful coach that they ever had is the guy that should be the one to try and lead them back to the level that they were at before he left. So we'll see if Greg Schiano makes his way back to Rutgers. I think it would be a great move. Seems like it would be pretty popular among the alumni and among his former players. I know you've spoken very well of him, right?
1: I uh, definitely uh, you know definitely, you know, have a lot of respect and admiration for Coach Schiano and what he did not only for myself but what we did, you know, together you know, for the university and for the state. So, you know, not exactly sure where that process is right now, but, you know, things are from what I'm, you know, all of what we're hearing and, you know, like like Koshiana once told everybody, don't speak for me, I'll speak for myself. So uh, I'm definitely excited, you know, just for Rutgers to take that next step, you know, is it's going to be something new that's coming? And, you know, excited to watch them this weekend. and time to see what happens and to continue to see that development and, and the uh, maturation of the university and especially the football program. So, Listen, for me, I mean, it's it's a tough year, but a lot of excitement. I'm going to be there Saturday to, you know, cheer on the the student-athletes and some of the guys. So those seniors will be me. You know, those seniors will be former Scarlet Knight, ex-Scarlet Knight, Scarlet Knight legend, NFL legend. So definitely going to be there cheering them all this weekend. And you never know, man. It's fun to see some guys and talk about, you know, who's going to be the
0: coach and, you know, what's needed to get done. Sounds like you've got a huge weekend ahead of you. I can't wait to hear some stories when you come on the podcast next week. And fingers crossed that you are not joining me from your home next week. Instead, you're joining me on the road in Canada because if you are, that would mean that the Hamilton Tiger Cats have advanced to the Grey Cup. So we've got our fingers crossed for you, Jamal, hoping that you can get yourself to the Grey Cup And get to the promised land in the CFL We're also hoping that the Jets Are going to get a victory against the Redskins But in the meantime I know that you're sitting around anxious Waiting to go to Rutgers Waiting to go to Canada for the Hamilton Tiger Cats Waiting to watch the Jets I know that you've got some free time on your hands So maybe some people want to tweet at you And have a little conversation on Twitter Maybe they want to ask you some questions About what your upcoming podcast is going to be like If they want to try and get a hold of you How can they do that?
1: Well, I'm on, I'm on all the social medias, Jamal Westerman on Twitter, Jay Westerman90 on Instagram, and normally you put in a Westerman. There's just there's a couple Westman I think there's one that plays for Cincinnati, but uh, I'm probably one of the few, you know, especially Jamal. Jamal with three A's, you know. So Jamal Westerman on Twitter, Jay Westerman90 on Instagram, all your other social medias. I'm on there. Questions, Jets questions, Rutgers questions, and obviously CFL insight, not questions, because you know once you're still part of the team, we're locked in, man. P- DVR mindset. It's already happened, man. We just got to watch it. So I'm excited for those guys and follow me on social media. Any questions? I love to respond. I love talking to the fans about you know football and you know their lives.
0: Just remember, it's J A M A A L. Reminds me a little bit of Jeff Jarrett back in the day. J E double F J A double R E double T. Jeff Jarrett. It's J A M double A l jamal westerman jamal thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it can't wait to talk to you next week and like i said good luck to rutgers and good luck to the hamilton tiger cats and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcasts, you know where to go that's turn on the jets digital and turn on the